Hey, what's going on, everybody? Ian Scotto here, Jack Murphy on with me for this episode, who you know from Vets Connect and the Team House with Dave Park and all his other work, his memoir, Murphy's Law. Just us this episode, if you've been keeping up with Tonto's social media, Chris has been in Texas the past few days doing one of his awesome classes with Battleline Tactical. I'm sure many of you listening on this Monday or throughout the week were there, and it looks like it was a blast. I obviously did not make it. I'm going. I'm not going all the way out to Texas, at least not right now, but I'm holding it down for you guys here on the podcast. Before we get into everything, we have great sponsors who keep us doing this every week and uh, keep having us make it happen. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, The tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of our podcast. If you ever do any of Tonto's uh, Battleline Tactical courses, You're going to be on the range there shooting Fort Scott. It's what he stands by. It's what we stand by. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Once again, that's fortscottmunitions.com and promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Also, another great sponsor with us this week, you hear us talk about them all the time, is NED. CBD has become extremely popular in the past year, making it more and more difficult to navigate and choose the right company and product. That's where Ned comes in. They produce the highest quality full spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants, all sourced from an independent farm in Paonia, Colorado. Ned is a wellness brand offering science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Zero isolates, no synthetic ingredients. They also have a brand new sleep blend, which is tremendous. 50 million Americans suffer from sleep disorders. Many of them are prescribed sleeping pills and subsequently become addicted. And there's a better way. That's why they created it. Sleep deeper for longer and wake up refreshed. Ned Sleep Blend is a natural path to steady, consistent, and deeper sleep. It blends CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep, with 750 milligrams of CBD made from the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp oil and organic and wild-crafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. So whether you want to check out the CBD or the sleep blend, uh, just be aware that Ned products do contain THC. We throw that in as a disclaimer, but once again, it's a minuscule amount. You do not get high off CBD, hemp oil. If anything, it's just going to relax you and give you those effects that you do get from THC without the high. 
But of course, as we always suggest, you could check out their lip balm. You could check out the body butter. And if you're someone uh, worried about drug testing, you check those out. But if you don't have to worry about that, we stand behind everything those guys do. And they're continuing to expand their product line. If you want to check out Ned and try any of their stuff for yourself, we have a special offer code for the podcast audience. And that's helloned.com slash battleline or enter the code battleline at checkout. You're going to get 15% off your first order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Now is the time to do it. Great gift idea for anybody uh, that you want to give to on the holidays, anyone suffering from uh, sleep issues or anxiety, this is our go-to. So once again, that's offer code BattleLine when you go to helloned.com slash BattleLine. Thank you, Ned, and uh, hope you guys are gearing up for Thanksgiving. With that, let's get right into this episode with the one and only, my good friend of many years, Jack Murphy. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast. Jack Murphy is on with me. Uh, I feel like a lot of this audience knows Jack. Army Ranger, Green Beret, previously on episode six, uh, which, by the way, is the second most listened to episode we've ever done. It's the first bestest episode. That's ever <laughs> and this one is going to be the second most popular episode ever recorded. Because Chris is not here. Uh, he's doing his, I think he's doing Battle Line tactical stuff right now. He, I, I don't even know exactly what he's busy with. I just know this week he couldn't do. Yeah, you're right behind only Tig, which makes sense because I feel like yeah, Chris's like, audience wants yeah, to hear Chris from the guy. Friend, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's cool, man. Um, and, you know, I I, uh, I miss you guys and I, I have not forgotten, um, you know, that I want to get you and Chris in uh in the studio sometime to, to do a show with you as well um it's just obviously you know covid hit all of us and we're all we're all adjusting as best we can yeah i would come to the studio anytime with chris and i feel this way with you know and i haven't been doing really anything in studio the whole incentive of people not in new york to be in new york is gone and it's gonna be gone for a long time like the whole idea of why i liked recording the show in midtown was if someone has a book out they're going to go to Fox yep. News. They're going to go to mm-hmm. Sirius. It was right in that area. And you could say, hey, come on over to yep. see us. It's going to be a while until that comes back, if it ever comes back. 
Dude, I, I had um, all kinds of guests scheduled to come in studio. And, you know, just like, you know, you and everyone else in, in, in the country, we all had to adapt to it and go remote. But, you know, you we're, we're both lucky in that, like, we can go remote. You know, we are able to do this job um, you know, remotely. Um, so I think we've, we've been pretty fortunate in that, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been doing fine throughout all this, even with all the other stuff that I do, the voiceover stuff Mm -hmm. and the other podcasts. Um, but I do miss that human interaction. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty crazy. This is the, you know, air fingers quote, because people don't see me new normal. And I saw an interview that Jim Carrey actually did with Howard Stern. And he made a pretty interesting point where he was on by zoom or Skype, whatever it is with Howard. And he said, yeah, I think this is just what it's going to be from now on, because it's going to kind of be hard to get a Hollywood actor, right, who is now used to this to say, we're going to fly you to New York to do all this press. A lot of them are going to be like, can I just do this from my house? Do I really have to go all the way to New York? Yeah, it definitely changed the the norms. And, and you know, others have written, you know, there's a lot of people like, why are they going to want to go back to an office building now that they know they don't have to be there? I can just sit at home in my sweatpants. Why, why do I want to go? work in some office building in Midtown. Um, But I mean, there are always going to be instances and there are going to be people who, you know, we're we're social animals. Like if you ever look at uh, like there, there've been people who go and like literally live in a cave for a year and and, and, uh, like they lose their mind. Like they've done studies on, on like isolation studies on people and like the human being, like we we're herd animals to a certain extent and we will literally lose our freaking minds (laughs) if if we're not around other people. Yeah, I mean the the biggest punishment they give you if you're in prison is to go into solitary yeah, confinement. Yeah, yeah, you go into the hole. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it makes sense, man. It is pretty crazy, and I think a lot of people's biggest fears are that type of thing, like mm-hmm. being buried alive. That right, people think right. of anything where they're by themselves. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm one of those people who you know I can lock myself in a room for a couple weeks and it doesn't bother me very much at all. But I mean, even me, I mean, if I don't go outside and walk around once in a while and I don't go say hi to somebody or cross paths, you know, I'll start losing it, too. You know, so and that's where I think the entire country is in this place right now where people are not in a good place, you know. Yeah. And and the online interaction is so negative. And and that's (laughs) why I uh, exactly. It's also why I keep my phone. uh, I'm currently I've said this a few episodes. I'm currently at my parents because the uh, house I was living in was sold. So I'm here for a little bit. I know I I know I told you I was thinking of moving out of state. I don't think I'm going to. That's a whole nother. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into it. But the point I was making is like I keep my cell phone downstairs because uh when I first wake up in the morning, the last thing I feel like that's healthy to see is all the bullshit on Twitter. Oh yeah. On drudge report or whatever. I try to like go for a walk around the block, maybe pet some dogs, maybe say hi to some people in the neighborhood because yeah, it's just, uh, there's especially the past few days in particular, there's been so much, I I don't know where we're at as a nation and how we ever heal. And I don't know. I really yeah, don't. People are in a really bad place, man. And yeah, COVID combined with the the um, political atmosphere and everyone kind of turning against one another and being at each other's throats. Yeah, like I, I, I'm concerned. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I don't want to be alarmist and scare people. But yeah, I, I have concerns with, with where we're at right now. Don't you see a huge difference between when you were covering political issues even like three, four years ago to now in that Like, I feel like we used to have at least some substantive discussions about like foreign policy and monetary policy. And it was 
sometimes heated, but there was some civility to it. And now like you look online and I, I what I've been seeing and I, cause I stood up for her in a thread because people were like going at Dana Perino. Now it's like with Dana Perino and Tucker Carlson, if you don't stand behind the president, you're an enemy. We're canceling your, you know, box. It's, it's, it's real. I've just never seen anything like it. Yeah, man. It, it's what, what has happened is like the bar has gotten pushed so far. Like the, the, the goalposts uh, or the bar has gotten moved so far as far as like what's considered acceptable behavior um, and, and how we relate to one another and what we accept as behavior from other people. It has just changed so much, I, I feel like, in the last you know few years. And I'm just, did you see the the stuff with like Tucker today? Why they're pissed at him? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's ridiculous. He, all he did was he said a piece. He was like, hey, we invited Sidney Powell on the show. If she could bring forth any evidence of massive voter fraud, we'd love to have her on and discuss it. But until then, like, I'm reserving judgment. I'm not saying nothing. And it was as neutral as you can get it. He's like, I'm not saying nothing happened. I'm not saying something happened, but I haven't really seen anything yet. And until we could hear something and she, you know, she's welcome to come on the show. I'm going to reserve judgment. And people are like, that's it. I'm done with Fox. Yeah. Like, Q- really? <laughs> Q- QAnon is canceling him. And well, you know what is is Fox and, and others? They have kind of ramped everyone up and walked everyone right up to that precipice, gotten them so jazzed up, so excited, um, you know, so and uh, you know, waiting with bated breath and anticipation of something happening, something really good or something really bad is going to happen. And now they're realizing like, hey, it's kind of hard to back people away from that cliff and say like, hey, bro, don't jump off the cliff. <laughs> you know, don't do that. And uh, now they're experience- having that experience. And I don't know. I mean, what do you think um, Fox is going to do? Do you think they're going to try to like rebrand themselves or something like that? Yeah, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's a certain constituency and I, I know some of them listen to the podcast. They're mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm going over to Newsmax. I'm going over to One American News Network. Um, but I, I don't think they'll ever be as big as Fox News. I, I think Fox is still going to be center right. But there's there's a uh, there, there's this difference now politically. You know, I see it with like Dana Perino, for example, who a great person. Every time I've had her on you know, anything that we've ever done, she's just one of the nicest people. But she will tell you her, herself. She's like very much a Bush Republican. Mm-hmm. She worked for the Bush administration. Like that's where she aligns politically. And. I almost feel like that brand of uh, Hannity bringing on like Dick Morris and those type of people, it's kind of dead. People don't want to hear from those people. Yeah, Crothammer and all of those guys. I mean, he passed yeah. away, of course. But yeah, that, yeah. That, that brand of conservatism is kind of over now. Yeah, which actually makes me wonder in terms of what you do, because we don't really talk about this much on the podcast. I don't see like an appetite from the American public to have these never-ending wars in the Middle East anywhere. Like people have said that one of the positives about Trump is He's like the only president in our lifetime who never started a new uh, war, new foreign intervention. I mean, he continued what went on under Bush and Obama. Um, but I don't, you know, and people are very skeptical about what Biden's going to do. But especially with what's going on with coronavirus, I don't think the public is very anxious to, like, start something with Iran, for example. No, they're not. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's uh I try to be fair in how I approach this. And I mean, yes, it's it's true that Trump did not start a new war, he, you know, per se. Um, and he was making some efforts to dial things back. 
Um, but they were also failed efforts, right? He, he talked about pulling troops out of uh, Germany, pulling troops out of South Korea, pulling troops out of Afghanistan, pulling troops out of Iraq. And he's really gotten us out of nowhere. Um, now, and, and I don't think all of that can be laid at his feet either. Um, it, there, there's a whole national security apparatus that's probably dragging their feet on him. And, and there's a whole other issue there. And ask yourself what that means that, you know, Obama wanted to bring a lot of the guys home too. And then so and then so did Trump. And that both of these presidents, two very different personalities. Uh, yeah, ver- couldn't be more different. Two very different people. They both wanted to bring the troops home for the for the most part. And neither was able to accomplish that as while holding the most powerful office in the world. And I think there's a, a darker lesson to be taken from that. Um, is this person, even a president, somewhat held hostage by circumstance? And by the shape of the bureaucracy around them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Trump rolled the dice in some cases, brought us right up to the precipice of war with Iran after uh, Soleimani was assassinated. And then the counterattack with the ballistic missiles um, fired at our bases in Iraq. I mean, he brought us damn close. And, and I mean, thank God we, we dodged that bullet um, literally and figuratively. But I think Trump also failed to deliver on some of his larger promises about bringing the troops home. Yeah. So so where do you think things go from here? I mean, I'm going to say it's likely we're going to have a Biden presidency. I know people would like to get into, you know, all the other stuff going on. But uh, I'm just saying more than likely that's what's going to happen. Are it's, we going to continue this? What's gonna happen. Well, are we going to continue this? you know, tradition of, of going as like Ron Paul would say, military intervention or uh, military adventurism, as I were to call it. Yeah. I mean, and if you look at some of the people that Biden is talking about for his national security staff and the people he's already bringing in, um, he's he's bringing in uh, part of his transition staff, Admiral McRaven, General McChrystal, um, Samantha Powers, who was on the National Security Council with Obama. She was the one who uh, um, formulated the right to protect doctrine um, that says, you know, if there's a genocide out there, we have every right to step in and, and try to stop that from happening. Um, who else is in there? Um, uh, the woman who is slated to potentially become the next Secretary of Defense, uh, Flournoy, and I apologize if I'm not, and I'm not saying her name correctly, um, but she is quite hawkish. She formed a, a think tank in Washington, D.C. and brought all of her think tank pals with her in, into the Pentagon during the Obama administration. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 the Biden administration looks as if it's going to be quite similar, probably more in common with the George W. Bush administration in this regard than the Obama administration. Um, but at the same token, I don't want to fear monger or scare people and make it sound like these uh, the Obama or I'm sorry, the incoming Biden administration is going to like launch new wars. Um, that's a little bit of a bridge too far. We don't know that. But I think they will be quite hawkish. And I don't think, you know, as far as bringing troops home from Afghanistan, downsizing the amount of troops we have in Africa, um, bringing troops back from Syria, I, the Biden administration, in my opinion, will not be about that at all. I, and I, I also just think people looking from the outside at America and how divided we are and even the debate over the legitimacy of the election. Yeah. It's kind of hard to now sell. This is what you need to have in your country. You need to have a democracy yeah, like yeah. we have where we're perfect. It's kind of hard to sell it. Did you see that, that, uh, that article in the onion? It's a it's satirical for, course, I, think every, yeah. I think everyone knows that, <laughs> but it was, it was something like, uh, 
Serbia sends troops to safeguard American elections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think the selling point on that, we don't have the same, uh, it's not the same mental state in America as it was when we went into these countries under the George W. Bush administration. And there is no people coming together moment that there right. was after 9 11. We are an absolute mess um, internally. Uh, we're internally divided in so many different ways, not just not just divided like between left and right, but even between within those own factions, they subdivide down into their own little tribes. Um, and I don't know. I don't think there's any way that you can reverse any of this. Um, the only the only thing that maybe could bring this country together again. And this is quite cynical of me. But if there is another global war, if there is something like World War Two that drew this entire country together, and I mean, God knows, I hope that never happens. Um, but it's hard to imagine the transformational leader or the global event that would kind of bring this entire country together. Yeah, which actually brings me to something else I, I wanted to mention to you. This is the first time I feel like uh, I've seen that America is really being challenged as being the global superpower. And I remember I once had a uh, discussion with you about like military bases overseas and you were saying if we don't have bases in certain places, China will take over. And I, I, I feel like this is the first time where it's really happening, where America is no longer the world superpower. And a lot of people in America don't want us to be. There's there's a huge rebellion, I think, against that. We, we are being challenged. Uh, that is 100 percent accurate. Um, uh, but we still are the nation or the world's only remaining superpower. We're the only country that can literally project military force all over the world. And no other country has the sort of reach that we do, uh, not just militarily either, but diplomatically, economically. I mean, we're, we're everywhere. Um, but yeah, that, that status, the status quo is being changed or being challenged by namely by revisionist powers like China. Um, they would like to see uh, not not just sort of a, a multipolar world where we, we all integrate into the world system, but China wants to be the top dog. They want to be the global hegemon. They want to be what America is, and they want to see America reduced to the level of like maybe something like the UK or France, where we're like second or third rate powers. And yeah, we're still there, but you know we don't really have the kind of pull that we used to. So yeah, I mean, we're absolutely being challenged. And the idea of America, that it, what goes along with that is our notions about democracy and our principles are being challenged. Um, and like you said, the state that America is in right now, I mean, it, when we go around and, and try to chastise other countries, I mean, they can fairly look at us right now and say, like, where are your values? Where are your principles? Like, what, where, what do you guys stand for? And uh, I think us as Americans, I mean, we're grappling with that decision, with that question right now. Yeah, I agree. Everything is uh, it, it's just crazy. The last time I saw you, a completely different yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and on a uh, more micro level, I'm wondering, actually, from you, we spoke about uh, really briefly, I think we were texting about like that James Altishore piece of New York City mm -hmm. is dead mm -hmm. and it's never coming back. We're both New Yorkers. You're kind of more in the thick of it being in Brooklyn than I am being on Long Island. Where do you see even New York going? Um, yeah, that whole back and forth with uh, James Altrucker that I, I met him once before. I don't know if you remember that. I did yet. too. Yeah, I, I met him at a different time, I think. Okay. Um, 
I, I read that piece, and then of course Jerry Seinfeld's rebuttal in the New York yeah. Times, and uh, you know both of those guys, you got to take them with a grain of salt. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld is worth like ninety million dollars, I think. That's the whole thing. Like the and, comedian Tim Dillon was like, neither of you guys are here. He's like, you know, James is right. in South Florida, and Jerry is in the Hamptons, like hiding in his basement. And, and, and Al Trucker is a, a wealthy entrepreneur. I mean, God bless. Um, but I mean, I don't think that he really feels this pandemic the way I do, or the way that you know a a, a a a family living down the street from me that is uh doesn't have all the socioeconomic advantages they're even pertinent in more more uh, a more profound way than i am uh those guys aren't really feeling those kind of frictions um but at the same time i'm not quite as skeptical uh about the situation as uh, as james is um the city has kind of come back to life um and we have seen some pretty profound changes in the city. We, I mean, we can get into that a little bit too. But I mean, I have seen Brooklyn kind of come back to life. Right now, what we're doing is we're experiencing the uh, the second wave of this thing coming up. And I mean, it's it's like I was reading up on uh, pandemics of the past. I mean, we had one of these 100 years ago. The first wave hit. Then the next winter, there's a second wave. And then the third winter, there was another like much smaller wave. And then it was over. It pretty much just petered out and went away after that. So we're about to hit the second wave. I'm sure it's going to suck. Um, and then next winter, we might hit another smaller wave. And that'll be the end of that. And um, I mean, New York City will come back to life. It'll be okay. But, um, you know, it, I think what's more interesting, the long, long lasting effects um, will be economic for a lot of families and a lot of people. It'll take them longer to get back up on their feet. And then some of the things you had mentioned, Ian, that, you know, working remotely is going to become a new way of life, that the the technologies have been normalized now. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of things in, in that regard that are going to be permanent. Yeah, but when you talk about the whole second wave, too, and, and Brooklyn coming back, and I see it on Long Island here, too, um, the businesses that actually survived this, like the small businesses that were able to survive a shutdown for quite a lot of months. It, it, now, if there's, you know, they were lucky enough to be able to to stay. If we have another shutdown, it might be the end of a lot more businesses. Oh, so. I, I, I absolutely think you're right. Um, you know, my barbershop just doesn't exist. It's not there anymore. Um, a, a whole lot of concert venues here because that's the oh, yeah. thing. There's, um, you, you know, Madison Square Garden, whenever things are back to normal, they'll survive. But like the small thousand capacity concert venue or, you know, 800 capacity, they're not going to survive this. And you'll, uh, you'll be interested in this. There, there's a, uh, a, um, a mixed martial arts uh, gym and studio here in Brooklyn nearby me or where I live. And uh, of course, like the gyms got hit really hard. They really got screwed. And so this MMA uh, place, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu place, um, they officially on the surface, they closed down. But it was like Fight Club. They had like the underground. <laughs> they, they had like the underground. Like there's like 15 students or so. And they'd go right. in and they, they'd roll. They were like, fuck COVID. I do what I want. And, uh, <laughs> and what happened was that other people started hearing that, that about the, the underground Fight Club deal. And so they Which started. They violated the first rule. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, so all the so probably the group rose up to about like 30 people who they like they would get together like clandestinely at night and roll. And uh, I think like a ha like half of them or two thirds of them all got COVID. And so they had to shut that down. Damn. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, Jim's got fucked, you know, uh, hairdressers, barbers, all those people, anything that involves like you can't get away from it. It's impossible to go to remote with those types of businesses. Um, all those people got hit really hard. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, hopeful, but at the same time, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot and we'll see what happens. So I'm, I'm actually wondering, how are you staying positive through all this, especially you have a younger daughter, the mm, whole yeah. remote thing i think for them it's it's got to be the hardest because i look back on you know older than than your daughter but like my high school years of a year goes by very slow like those four years of high school because of your frame of reference right yeah yeah, yeah. so much from them and a year doesn't go by the way it does now and i you know you cherish those moments and the fact that like for a lot of these kids half of their high school or their entire middle school life is going to be gone they're they are losing out on it yeah, it's really hard on the kids. Uh, and, you know, they so for people who don't know New York City and the public school system here, they went to like a hybrid learning model. Um, so all that means is that the kid is in school like one or two days a week. And even that it's a much smaller classroom. I think it's only like 10 kids in the classroom or something like that. And they, they wear their masks and they're socially distanced and all of that. And then the are they even behind like kind of a plexiglass at their desk? I think I saw that at the high school I went to because I. I went for a walk there with my friend and we like peeked inside. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure about that actually. Um, and so they're in class one, like one or two days a week. And then they are at home doing e-learning the rest of the time on the iPad, um, talking to their teacher on zoom or whatever it is. And, uh, I mean, my daughter, you know, they also, they have the option. Like if, if a parent really wants to play it safe, they have the option of doing all e-learning and not sending the kid to school. And I asked my daughter, I said, look, do you want to go to school? And for her, you know, she misses her friends and she's like, yeah, I want to go back to school. So I'm like, okay, you can go back to school. And, uh, you know, the New York city school system, I mean, there's a lot of confusing information that was put out probably because there's a lot of confusing, confusing information coming from the local state and federal levels that just baffled the hell out of all of us. Um, But the teachers and, you know, the kids and everyone, they all worked really hard to make it happen. And, um, and it seems like the, the safety precautions they took did work. Like they have not had COVID outbreaks in the schools. It's the rest of the city. That's the problem that that we're starting to have an outbreak again, that second wave in the rest of the city. And I think it's like a state law or something like that. Like if the city gets to X number of people, the schools automatically shut down. Um, so it's kind of a shame that I think the kids are kind of being punished um, for all of the things that, you know, the rest of us are doing. Um, but, you know, she's getting along as best she can. And we try to keep things happy and, and cool and do things that are fun and, you know, get out of the city when we can. Um, she, she still has, you know, she'll have play dates with her friends and they'll get together and have sleepovers or whatever. And, you know, we, we all kind of try to do the right thing and wear our masks and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you're inside your house, take them off or, you know, like, uh, you know, me and my, my buddy, Dave, you know, we wear our masks. From the team, yeah. Which I should mention the team yeah, house. Yeah. We, we do our show. I mean, we wear our masks and do all, all that's the stuff you're supposed to be doing. Get into our studio. Not during the show though. <laughs> yeah. During, we get to the studio, lock ourselves inside, take the mask yeah. off, do the show. I was like, if then, you do the show with the, with the mask on, I don't know. That's a little, no, that, yeah, little that's just, that's just, yeah, that's a little silly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we're all trying to do the right thing here while also not losing our freaking minds. And, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, which uh, I'm wondering, how are you not losing your mind? Because people might be 
wonder because I have certain things I've been doing that are keeping mm-hmm. me positive. And we do try to do, especially with Chris, he's a very like never quit uplifting type of guy. Yeah, yeah. And I think people do like the fact that we have like a motivation element to this podcast. So yeah, for you, what like what are you doing to stay positive and keep your sanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm not the best case study because uh, like I was mentioning earlier, I, I can be a bit of a shut in and it, and it really doesn't bother me um, in the same way that like I have my own projects and interests and things I'm doing um, that I, I, get, I can be passionate about. Um, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, for, yeah, that's something that I play <laughs> with my sister and I play with some of my friends. We play with the game remotely. Still, it's not quite the same, but yeah, we so we do that. That's one thing I do. Um, yeah, and I and I paint scale models. You know, some people probably know that about me. Um, but I, I mean, I also yeah, I try to get out and walk around the neighborhood just to like get some fresh air and stretch my legs. I still exercise, you know, three or four times a week, um, even if it's uh, you know taking. I just have like kettlebells and dumbbells, and I'll take them into the park and exercise. Um, failing that, I'll just exercise here in my apartment. I got a pull-up bar, um, go for a run, you know, things like that. Um, you know, I am somewhat cognizant of the fact that, you know, like, you know, finding that balance where like too much social isolation, yeah, you'll lose your mind. Um, so yeah, you know, locking yourself inside and, and reading, uh, reading crazy social media all day is definitely bad for your mental health. But I would just say, you know, Find those things that make you happy, uh, you know, books that you want to read, um, hobbies that you always wanted to indulge in, um, you know, find something that you enjoy. Don't feel guilty about it, you know, have have some fun um, because, yeah, we're, we're all kind of stuck indoors. We're all sort of isolated and, you know, you got to make the, the best you can of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I really realized during the whole shutdown stuff that I missed, I realized like how important the gym is to my life. And luckily, at least for now, that's open again. And it's interestingly enough, and I've said it on previous shows, like I'm doing well through this whole COVID thing because I'm doing, you know, other podcasts for like Mm -hmm. narrative.fm and voiceover stuff. And this is starting to take off and I'm, I'm happy with it. And I could just be doing this, but I really enjoyed training people when I got my training certification. So I'm just doing oh, it cool. a couple of days. Yeah, I'm just doing a couple of days out of the week. But I I definitely learned I'm not as much of an, an introvert as I thought I was. Like, <laughs> I really do. I love those moments of just being out and seeing people. And I think you have to have some element. Yeah. That. So yeah. I'm still I'm I mean, I'm being somewhat cautious, but I'm still going out to lunch with friends when I can and all that type of stuff. And until, you know, Cuomo says we can no longer do that. I'm going to do it, man. I'll, I'll tell you, like on the on the, the, you know, trying to stay positive. The flip side of it is like there have just been some scenes here in Brooklyn that I feel like I'm in a cyberpunk novel or something like that, where, you know, I went out and met my friend to have a beer and going out wearing your mask, walking down the streets. And like there are like some hobo camps that have sprouted up that were not there before. Like little, I didn't even know about that. Like little, like little tent cities under the bridge and, and, uh, and is it like, like how that. Occupy Wall Street looked? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort, sort of like that. There's a whole – there's a hobo camp in the park that I was like pretty shocked to see that there. Um, there's like just trash laying around and just walking through the, these like empty streets at night. Like it used to be a pretty happening, trendy part of town. Um, 
and then it turned into like a ghost town. And even even walking through, uh, I was walking through a part of like Williamsburg that was like super trendy. And uh, I mean, for God's sake, there's an Apple store there now and a Whole Foods. It's like it's <laughs> a bunch of yuppies. Um, and it, it just is not there the same way. It just isn't. And going out, meeting your friend outside, and you sit down, take your mask off, and then they bring you a beer. And because of Cuomo's weird laws, they also have to like you have to get food. Like I went yeah. to one, I went to one bar with a friend of mine and bought a we each had a beer, and they give you your beer and they give you your bagel. Like, here's your bagel. I'm like, what the hell am I doing with this bagel? And she's like, Well, you have to because of Cuomo's laws, you have to have something, you have to buy food with it. And uh I don't know. It's just like kind of like we're in this like kind of bizarro world. Um, the yeah. things that just don't make any sense, you know, like. Oh, what, yeah. What? Well, the the gym's closing now. Like, so UFC gym that I would go to, uh, which used to be 24-7, they changed it to closing at 11 on weekdays. And then we changed the law to gyms have to close at 10. So now when I sign in, because I go late at night, I even said to them, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're doing our part with this like last hour that we're not allowed to be here. I'm sure it's, you know, stopping the spread somehow magically yeah I, I don't get that stuff at all it's the same like we were talking about the uh curfews like what the like a curfew is designed to like keep criminals off the streets or something like and when you're experiencing civil unrest or there's like guerrilla insurgents in the streets you feel like or you throw up roadblocks and you have curfew like this is a pandemic like what the hell is a curfew doing to stop the to stop a virus from <laughs> spreading around and it's hard for it not to fuel conspiracy theory then, because it's like these are governors. Are they just flexing their muscle to show how much that they could control the population? And it gets people more upset and more stressed out. Like why? Why? Yeah, they feel like the government is like closing the fences in around you. Like, why are they doing this? And I, I don't believe in conspiracy theory stuff, but it's like they, these are some like irrational, nonsensical decisions being made, you know? Yeah, I don't either. And but I will say when you hear um, the stuff that like Trudeau said and you keep hearing this phrase pop up of the Great Reset and during Trudeau's speech, he said uh, we need to, you know, talking about coronavirus. And he's like, we need to reset the economy to have it work for people who it, it doesn't it didn't work for. And we need to start basically redistributing wealth to these people. And I'm like, what does this have to do with coronavirus? This is you trying to change, you know, economically because they're tying it into climate change and oh, God. wealth redistribution. <laughs> and what is that? So it's. I yeah, people, people don't want to people... hear that crap right now. It's like, uh, save that for the election, bro. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I understand why people are, are feeling that way. So we'll see what happens. But I, I always do stress to the audience the same things you're saying is and I know Chris does like to stay positive throughout all this. Yeah. Um, and keep, to, keep in mind, everybody like this will be over, you know, like people who say this is the new normal. This just is is, is our new reality. Like that's not science. That's that's bullshit. It's not the new normal. Like there's there's going to be this second wave we're getting hit with now. There might be a smaller third wave next year. But then this thing's going to be over and we're pretty much going to go back to normal. Like we will be, you know, kids will be playing in the parks. Uh, There will be half naked women walking around New York City on the streets again. Like all of that's going to happen. Like don't don't think that, you know, our lives are over and the American way of life is dead. (laughs) Do you do you ever find yourself like fantasizing about things that happened pre pandemic? Because I can tell you early on, I kept replaying, I swear, in my head. Uh, one of the last like great arena concerts I saw, which was Aerosmith uh, in Massachusetts. And like I was way up front. It was an amazing time. 
And I swear, I kept like, before I'd go to sleep, I would replay this in my head again and again. And like, I miss it. I really, I really miss all that stuff. And, and I do think it would bring people together now more than ever, because you turn on sports now, you turn on anything and it is, everything is politicized. Yeah. You turn on late night TV shows and you're like, wait, is this, you know, like a liberal talking points thing or am I watching Jimmy Fallon? Like, it's just, it's insane. Nothing is, you know, and after 9-11, you think of what brought us together and it was like going to baseball games and going to the, going to the movies and all this stuff. And it wasn't so entrenched in politics. Right. Right. And it, it, the only, the only real controversy was, you know, are you a Yankees fan or a Mets fan? It wasn't, it wasn't about, are you a Democrat or a Republican? That, that was not the, that was not the clash there. Right. It was, you know, my team is better than your team. Um, and, and you're right. And this is, this predates the pandemic. It predates, it predates president Trump. Um, but it is something that continues to this day is, like you said, the injection of politics into every aspect of our lives in a way that it just was not there before. And even like the the nerdy hobbies I have that I mentioned before, um, comic books, Dungeons and Dragons, these things have been politicized and there is a lot of politics in them. Um, and it's bizarre. How so for the audience? Because the audience is probably like, how the fuck could Dungeons and Dragons be political? Um yeah, so I can give a few examples. Um, so in Dungeons and Dragons, like any role-playing game, think about any role-playing game you guys like to play, fantasy games, um, you know, with, with dragons and wizards and elves and all that kind of crap. One of the things you do for your players, you can choose the race, right? You could be an elf, a dwarf, uh, you know, what a, a human, whatever it is. There are all these different fantasy races, they're completely fictional. Um, that you can choose from and you can play as. Okay, that's kind of cool. What What's happened recently is that they've been decrying this as racism because, you know, like if you're a uh, a dwarf, you're a little bit tougher. If you're an elf, you're a little bit smarter. And they're saying, uh, oh, this is like ascribing racism to these different fantasy races. So it's like a, it blows up into this big controversy. There's another thing where uh, they were saying orcs. So you know, in like Lord of the Rings, the 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 uh, the evil creatures in the movies are orcs. Okay, but they were saying people started getting flipping out, saying that orcs are um, like a code word that they're emblematic of black people. <laughs> I'm totally serious, and, and there's probably no real evidence of it. No, there's no evidence at all. And you know, the what all like like all of these um, these people who consider themselves to be woke. What they're doing is they're projecting their sort of inner racism onto the rest of the world. I mean, For like, sure. who, who in the world watches Lord of the Rings and sees those orcs, those like creatures spawned out of uh, out, out of hell, um, attacking, chasing around these hobbits, and thinks, "Oh, those orcs, those are supposed to be black people." Oh yeah, like no one thinks that. Like, what kind of lunatic would even would that even occur to? Um, there's another one. So there's a, a, a in in these games. There's a, a monster called the Gollum. And there, you know, like, there's different types of golems. Now, of course, you know, maybe, well, maybe you should know, Ian. Uh, golem, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not I'm like on your level with this nerd shit. No, 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 not this, because the golem is something that exists in Jewish mysticism, right? Oh, okay. Um, the uh, the rabbis, uh, I believe this is a Katzelenelenbogen uh, family in the Czech Republic, um, supposedly created this creature, a golem. It, it's a, so it had, it's a it's a creature out of Jewish mysticism, and it's a creature that okay. exists in role playing games. 
And somebody came at that and was like, it's anti-Semitic. You know, it's just completely gonzo off the wall stuff. Like people have nothing better to do with their time. And a lot of these same sort of like what we would call social justice narratives are also in comic books. They're very present in comic books and, and the whole comic industry and these constant bickering um, and fighting um, with artists and writers and editors and publishers all just, it's like everyone at war with each other all the time. And it's like, do we really have nothing better to do than worry about who Peter Parker votes for? Like, this is, this is where we're at in life. Um, so all this sort of ridiculous stuff I've, I've been talking about, it's just like, why, why do these politics even need to be present in such mundane hobbies that are really just for fun? And it's just, you know, me and my daughter, we we read comic books together. I've been reading comics to her since she was a little kid. And we we love comic books. Like what it does we don't have to politicize this and turn it into a wedge issue where we're all gonna hate on each other over it. Like it's unnecessary. And there's enough division in America as it is. Um, so yeah, that's that's my two cents on, on those issues. Yeah, the, the irony is I remember early on in the pandemic, people were like, maybe we'll like take a break with all this woke stuff and realize that there are more important things in the world. But then the heat turned up on all that way more than right. we ever saw before. Right. Because we're, we're engaged in all of this like navel gazing. Like when people, I think all that woke stuff, I mean, really a lot of it comes out of boredom to begin yeah. with. And, uh, and people are more bored than ever right correct. now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame by being an asshole on Twitter and like the bigger an asshole you are, the more retweets you're going to get, the more attention you're going to get. Uh, you know, if you out someone for whatever it is for being a sexual predator or something, even if you don't have the evidence, it, it, you know, that's just the stuff that people pay attention to. And I, I don't see how we turn the clock on a clock back on any of that. Like, I, you know, I'm optimistic about the virus stuff and that's going to go away eventually, but the larger social fabric that these narratives we have, um, I, I don't see how we turn that back, how, how we, how we can ever turn the clock back on any of that. Um, because right now the, the left and the right and all the subdivisions therein, they all believe that the other side is evil, like yeah. literally pure evil. And, What's more interesting also is that both sides feel that they're losing, right? The left thinks the fascists are taking over. The right thinks the communists are taking over. They both think that they're the victims and that they're losing. Now, how does a culture with that mentality move forward? Is it even possible? Yeah. And then also you see the people going into politics and they have that same Belief. Uh, you know, I remember Rick Unger once said to me, who's like a center left guy, but he's, he's definitely not like a hard left uh, liberal or anything. Um, he said that I don't even remember who it was. A, Cong a new congressman came on his show and he's like, I didn't go into politics to work with Democrats. And Rick was right. like, well, then why, why are you in politics? Right. Like, that's literally what you have to do. That's the job description. You have to work with the other side and come to some agreement on on certain issues. And that's you know, you see like QAnon members going into Congress. A crazy one I could, you know, think of, too, is um, a guy that you and I both know. I mean, I haven't talked to him in a while, but Sean Parnell, I've, I've just been on Twitter watching his race, which was against a fellow veteran. And it was a pretty vitriolic, like, really election between these guys. I mean, you probably saw it. It was a no, lot of or I, I just figure on Twitter, you'd probably see following him. But it was de it definitely got extremely heated. And you would think. I don't know, two veterans running against each other. They could at least say we served our country. We have a different 
way that we see America. But no, it was pretty, pretty damn heated. Were they, were they like trashing each other's military service? I don't know if it went that far. You know, I mean, you know, Sean is a special ops guy. And I know that uh, Connor Lamb looks like one. But now Sean Parnell is not conceding the election. Uh I think he didn't serve in the same capacity or anything, but I'm just saying every single race is, is extremely heated. And, yeah. And it doesn't seem like people are going, I don't even actually think you can get elected on a platform of I'm going to work with the other side right, and right. see what we can agree upon. There, uh, there were a lot of, actually um, that, that interview that Obama did with the Atlantic was really interesting because he was talking about um, Republicans who, like just it was like one Republican congressman that like he shook hands with and like gave him like a little bro hug because he just got elected. And so like Obama was just like saying, hey, congratulations. And he got run. He got like fired or not fired, but he didn't. He he lost his seat the next election. They kicked him out because he was perce- perceived as like an Obama collaborator. And he was talking about how there were all of these Republicans um, that were willing to work with him. But they didn't because they felt they couldn't because their constituents would punish them. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely in this time where um, people will punish their uh, congressmen for working with the other side, for trying to reach across the aisle and find some sort of like bipartisan issues that they work together on. And I would just point out that we live in a, in a democracy that requires that sort of collaboration. Um, if you're not willing to talk to the other side and use your rhetoric and try to convince people, the only other option we have is violence. And none of us want that. We created this democratic process so that we can have a, um, a, a process of sharing power and distributing power and where people elect their representatives. And if we don't have that sort of mentality that we're going to try to work together, then what is the other option? Like if you say, I'm not go- I'm not going to work with Democrats or I'm not going to work with Republicans, exactly like your friend said, th- then what the fuck are you doing there? Like what, what do you, I mean, I'm not saying you need to cave in on everything or that you need to like flush your no, values down the yeah. toilet. I'm just saying if you're not even willing to talk to them, you're not willing to sit down and and find and look and see like are there some areas we agree on and we work together on? I'm like, why are you what are you gonna do there exactly? Yeah, it's it's a scary time. I think there are people who are stoking the flames, you see it of of a civil war who do want to see oh, yeah. things resort to violence. Lunatics and, out there. Yeah. Yeah, and and you also need to keep in mind too, like the more heated the rhetoric gets, there's always like the mental, seriously mentally ill yeah. people out there who think like it's their job to take out the other side. I know, man. It, I, I'm like I said, I try to I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm not out to scare people, but I'm concerned about where we're at right now. I feel like the population of our country has just been amped up and amped up and amped up. That like we're we're coming up on something. No one knows what that something is, but we're all very fearful of it. Um, and I, I saw a clip today of uh, someone calling into Rush Limbaugh, and this guy was literally in tears, man. He was crying. He's like, President Trump is my president. He's the, You and President Trump are the only ones who care about us and fight for us. I would die for President Trump. And like, this is scary stuff, man. It's scary. I, and I don't, I don't care where, where you are politically. Like, this is not a good way for us to relate to one another. It, it's not. No. May, and maybe it is good that people aren't like flying to see each other for Thanksgiving in some cases, because I think it's like <laughs> the most heated Thanksgiving for many people. It used to just be like, I don't know, my aunt or something has a different political belief than me. And 
you know, maybe it'll be a little debate on something. But yeah, you're right. It's gotten super heated. I don't know. I, hopefully things turn around somehow. We've got a lot more to go this episode and we get into a whole lot more. But first, let me tell you about our friends at Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. If you guys are looking for something for the holiday season, looking for uh, stocking stuffers for Christmas, for the shooter in your life, this is where you want to go. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammo being CNC spun, these tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses, as well as direct online through Fort Scott Munitions. Yes, you could pick them up other places if they're not out of ammo, which I could tell you right by me on Long Island, New York gun stores. The line is just out the door. It's a crazy time, but if you go to their website, they're restocking as much as they can with super high demand. That's where you're going to get our discount for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast when you use the promo code Battleline at FortScottMunitions.com. That's promo code Battleline for 15% off your order. FortScottMunitions.com. Go there now. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. And now, let's get back to Jack Murphy and myself right here on Battleline Podcast. I did want to ask you, too, I I didn't even mention this in the intro for you, and I did write out, like, everything that you do, which is a lot of different things uh, between the book that you wrote, Murphy's Law, which is a couple years at this point, but being a writer for Connecting Vets, um, and as we said, one of the hosts on the Team House uh, live stream. But with the stuff that you're writing for Connecting Vets, what are like some of the big issues that you feel that America needs to be aware of? Because you turn on the news and it's Trump or COVID 24-7. And I think we're not even aware of what's going on foreign policy-wise or where, where we're engaged in, in the world right now. Yeah, man. There's a uh, So Connecting Vets is, or ConnectingVets.com, you can find it. It's not just me. It's a, it's a bunch of different writers, um, Abby, Libby. Um, and a few others, um, people writing mostly about veterans issues and issues that affect veterans. So like today, I, for instance, I wrote an article about uh, Code Platoon, which is a not-for-profit that provides uh, a boot camp to train veterans um, in computer coding so that they transition into new jobs. So connecting vets to the stuff I write there, the stuff others write there, very little partisan politics, very little about all that Trump stuff. You're not going to find so much of that there. Um, you're going to find stuff about the military and you're going to find stuff about veterans. You're going to find stuff about veterans affairs and, and that type of information that is, um, we hope, useful to all those folks out there. Um, some of the stuff I wrote recently, um, let's see, some of the bigger ones that maybe people would be interesting interested in. I did write an article about uh, QAnon and how veterans are I saw that. attracted to QAnon. And you, so you might find that one interesting. Um, about the military and veterans and how they get on board or some of them 
a, a small number of them get on board with QAnon conspiracy theories and why they do. Um, so that's an interesting one. I, I wrote another article recently about explosive breaching uh, in the military and in special operations. And it's a really, really big issue. Um, so I think most people are aware at this point about TBI or traumatic brain injury. Sure. And you get those. You, one way you can get those is from blasts um, or explosions. And one of the ways that soldiers are exposed, exposed to blasts is through explosive breaching. And again, I think probably most people who listen to this show know what I'm talking about. But just sure, in, case, sure. in case you don't, uh, explosive breaching is a technique that soldiers will use when they're raiding uh, a compound, a house or a building or whatever where bad guys are. So in order to quickly enter enter that building, they will blow the door down with explosives, like literally put an explosive charge on the door, back up, blow the charge with an initiation system to destroy the door. And then soldiers or operators can flow through that breach site and enter and clear the structure. And this is a, a perfectly viable breaching technique. But the problem is that there are explosive breaching formulas uh, that govern, that that advise soldiers on how close and how far away they should be from the breach point. And what my reporting uncovers is that those formulas are flawed, that they're being misapplied. And soldiers are standing way too close to the breach site, and they are getting TBI after TBI after TBI um, from these bad practices. And uh, so I kind of did a deep dive on that whole subject. And um, it, it's this is literally an issue of um, of life and death. You know, these TBIs mess up people's cognitive functioning. Um, it leads them to not being able to, you know, hold down a job or function the way that they're supposed to. And in some cases, it's a leading factor in suicide. Um, so it, it's really an issue that I hope the Department of Defense and even police departments look at, take a second look at as needed. So you, you you got to interview people who have experienced that themselves? Uh, yeah, I, I inter- so this is as far as sourcing. I think I have probably the best sources in the world. Uh, you know, not to pat myself on the back here, <laughs> but but really for this issue, I interviewed the former master breacher of Delta Force, Mike Vining, and I interviewed the former master breacher of SEAL Team Six, Chuck O'Connor. So are those from? Uh, the live stream that you do and being able to use that in your other work. Basically. No, no, this was, this is for a totally separate article. Um, had nothing to do okay, with that. Okay. Gotcha. Which I will say, side note, the Mike Vining episode, the amount of views on that, I was <laughs> like, wow, you guys yeah. got to check that out if you haven't, but that blew up. Yeah, we did. We did do an episode with Mike and I'm going to try to do an episode in the future with Chuck O'Connor. He's a really good guy and he's really out there trying to help out dudes and, and um, because he has like 40 something years in explosive breaching. Like this guy knows his stuff and he's really trying to like spread the word and try to implement safer practices for the, for the soldiers out there. Um, so I interviewed those guys. I interviewed a recently retired Delta force Sergeant major. And I interviewed a, um, a PhD uh, who is a nursing scientist um, who has studied um, trauma statistics in regards to special operations. So some really good sources in that article, I think, um, really illuminate that subject. That's awesome. So it's out now. People can check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Connecting Vets. Uh, if you have a second, Ian, I'll try to pull it up for you and find yeah, the- Yeah, you can uh, send it over. I'll, I'll put it in the link. Um, any, uh, any guys like you personally served with who have maybe experienced it? Uh, here it is. Special Ops has a broken culture with explosive breaching that can lead to TBIs on ConnectingVets.com. 
Um, yeah, I, I know. I definitely know people who have TBI, man, and it's uh, it's it's sad and it's unfortunate when guys get uh get it, it because, like I said, it affects their cognitive process. So they actually start like can turn inwards and turn on themselves. I notice, and like like what I mean by that is that because their brains aren't functioning the way they used to, there it's like doing a math problem. Like, hey, I should be able to do this, but now I can't. Like, I know I used to be able to do this. Why can't I do it now? And they start getting mad at themselves and frustrated and blaming themselves. It's it's really shitty, man. And uh, I, I feel for those guys. I'm sorry that they go through that. And I, I hope that we can institute some safer practices to keep these dudes safer down the line. Yeah, definitely. And people need to at least be more aware of it with articles like these, because um, it's not something that gets covered every day. And and being in special operations especially is a dangerous job. And and someone like Mike Vining uh, having to deal with uh, just diffusing bombs and that type of thing, that's probably the most high-pressure job you can do in the world. Yeah, man, those two guys, uh, Mike and Chuck, I mean, they know this stuff inside and out. Does Mike does Mike himself have any issues with it? Because Mike seems completely no, great, for at least from when we I, interviewed him. I don't think Mike and Chuck um, have ever experienced any issues with it. And one of the interesting things that they were explaining to me is so, like, Mike and Chuck were in those units. They were in SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force um, back in, like, the heyday. So we're talking, like, late 70s and into the 80s. And, and into the 90s, I think. I think Mike retired in the in the late or early 90s. But anyway, so they were there back in those days. And back back in the day, and back when they were serving, there were only three units out there that did explosive breaching. Delta Force, SEAL Team 6, and the FBI's hostage rescue team. Those were the only units doing explosive breaching. Today, I mean... I take your pick. I mean, there are law enforcement agencies and, and uh, local police um, police uh, departments that do explosive breaching. Uh, there are conventional military units that do explosive breaching, you know, regular infantry units doing explosive breaching. And what happened was that when it was diffused outwards in the 1980s and spread out all across um, to these different tactical teams is that the safety standards weren't necessarily adhered to with less experienced people. They didn't understand the context and they weren't able to apply explosive breaching to the level that Chuck and Mike were able to. Um, and so it, it's just a question of like the, the entire um, field kind of needs an azimuth check. And one of the big problems is that there is no centralized authority that kind of looks at these things. So in other words, the Marines, the Navy, the Army, police departments, they're each doing their own thing. And there's no centralized authority over over it, like the National Health Institute or something like that, that kind of um, disseminates best practices. Um, So that's one of the fixes or one of the things that could be done to hopefully, um, you know, improve uh, the entire field in the future. No, it sounds like it. People need to check it out. Um, you know what I wanted to ask you about that's completely different? Sure. Have you seen Have you seen Jim West lately? I talked to him like two days ago. I went to lunch with Jim. He actually said it was okay if I like talk about it because I was like, Jim, can I mention this in the podcast? It's so funny. Every time you see Jim, there's like a new – because you're the one who introduced me to Jim, of course, and, and you're really the one who – He'll say himself, got him out of his shell, but he's always up to something new. I got to work on his audiobook, which was great. But the last time he wanted to meet up for lunch, which was because I did the audiobook, he uh he was like, Oh, did I tell you the new, you know, news in my life? And 
I I was like, yeah, that you did like that martial arts training thing. And he's like, no, I have a daughter that I, that I just met. I'm sure he told you about that. I'm, yeah. There's always something new in, in Jim's life. Yeah, it's he, never a dull moment. He told me, he told, <laughs> he told me that story. And like, all I could say for like half an hour was holy shit. <laughs> and, and it's, a, it's she's a, older than both of us. It, it, and it's a, it's a happy story. It, it really is a happy story, but it's just shocking and surprising. So like Jim took one of those DNA tests online to like find out like, oh, I'm like 3% Italian or whatever the hell it is. And I guess I didn't realize this, but like other people who take those tests, they can find out who they're related to. And so lo and behold, Jim unknowingly knocked up some woman back in 1979 down in Georgia. And he had no idea. And so just this like last like what, six months or so, this woman found him on like Ancestry.com. And it was like, yeah, I, I, I'm your daughter. And and we could throw out the obvious interesting thing too is that it is a black woman or half black of Jim, you know, Jim being the father. And you know, this is not someone you would think was Jim's daughter. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, really, dude? This is your daughter? I have, I have not seen a picture of her. Um, I did. He showed me. Really? Yeah. Um, he he was like, you could see, you know, once he points it out, he's like, you see some similarity, but like Honestly, you'd expect Jim, you know, Jim's son, who is who's no longer with us, is white. His other son is white. You know, this is what you expected his daughter to look more like. I'm like, really? This is your daughter? And also the fact that Jim's youngest son is, um, I don't know, what, early 20s. So the fact that he has like a 40-year-old daughter. Yeah. Like, really, dude? Wow. Okay. Yeah, um, man. But Jim's very happy about it. It's not yeah. like Jim, yeah. Jim was, he, he, you know, he was probably said, shocking him. But. He said he talks to her every day. Um, this, this, uh, she's married and she has two kids. So like Jim is like, I have grandkids. I didn't even know that. Like he's all excited. I mean, <laughs> so it's, it's actually a very happy story. And, you know, these kind of things like where a, a long lost child finds a parent, you know, I'm sure they're always afraid that their parents going to be a huge asshole. Um, yeah. or, or, or that they're dead. You know, if you don't know who your mom or dad is, you go looking for them. I mean, you don't know, are they alive? Are they in jail? Like you have no idea. Um, and this actually turned out to be a very happy story. So, you know, I'm really happy for uh, for Jim. Yeah, and and things really do work out at sometimes at the right time, no matter what you believe, because this is like the perfect time, I think, for Jim to meet someone and be his best self, because Jim will say himself before you got in touch with him probably a decade or so ago. Very angry guy, very reclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, it, he probably wouldn't be the the guy you'd want to meet that you that she's meeting today who's a lot more calm, collected, and and even though he still has, you know, as we always say in the show, because of when Chris said the switch is on, motherfucker, he still has that in him, <laughs> but he's not, you know, he's not the guy looking for a bar fight anymore. Not that right, he's necessarily right. looking for it if you read his book. A lot of, you know, a lot of the situations where people trying to start shit with him, at least according to his recollection, but that's no longer the Jim West of 2020. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Jim is a, is a better person uh, these days. And, you know, I never knew. I, see, I met him at a different point in life. I never knew Jim West, the animal, the guy who would get drunk and go crawling around alleyways in the middle of the night looking for people to fight. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I hear the stories from people who served with him sometimes. Um, but I didn't know him. I caught I caught Jim at a different place in life, and uh, so I know I know Jim West, the man, um, not not so much the animal, you know, which I, I'm I'm grateful for, and uh, and I'm lucky to to have met him when I did. Yeah, and you know it's funny though when you read the book itself, which him and Justin McCauley did. 
the scenarios all seem to be, at least in his recollection, that he was justified, that it was someone trying to start crap with him. But it's also like, how do you get to hundreds of bar fights if you're not at least looking for action on some level? But he oh, doesn't no. seem to be the aggressor in most of these stories. He he would go out looking for action. I mean, he he would uh, they would like try out new moves in the in his dojo in the afternoon, and then at night go and get drunk and try to test them out in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was just like a normal day for him. Yeah, have you have you seen the the newest book that he wrote? Yeah, I read it. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. Him but it's just most of the stories involve someone wanting to test out Jim West. Like they hear the legends of Jim West. Oh, you're Jim West. And it's them starting shit with him. Once again, at least the way he accounts. Well, I think a lot of it was that too, because he had such a reputation around like Fayetteville and, um, you know, it's like that movie. You ever seen It Man with uh, Danny Yen? No, I have not. And the It Man films. He's like a Chinese kung fu master. And are always these people like coming to him like, Master Ip, I learned a new move. I want to show you. you know, there's always like somebody wants to challenge you and, and, and see, you know, where you're at. I don't know. It's like a martial arts thing. Yeah, luckily nowadays it's not like that for him. Although I wasn't, I think I left before it went down, but uh, at the Ranger Up party a few years back at SHOT Show, uh, I saw someone, I saw at least someone like bumped into Jim and something almost happened, but it didn't quite go there. I heard some story. Yeah, I, I missed that too. I wasn't there. Um, I, I was actually on a flight home already. Um, but oh, yeah, I was, I left earlier. Yeah. But I just heard he was about to, I just feel like if someone wanted to start stuff with Jim West, he could easily revert back to that guy. Yeah, probably not a good idea to pick a fight with him. I had a Jason Piccolo on the show also for an episode Chris wasn't on, who's a former law enforcement guy, or might might even still be current. But I'm saying it because we mentioned SHOT Show just now, and he was saying, uh, he's like, yeah, SHOT Show is still happening, man. It's still going down. This is like two months ago. I'm like, really? You sure about that? But I think like as late as two weeks ago, they canceled it. Wow. And made it virtual or whatever. But I'm like, probably a good idea. As I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who's living in a bubble right now, but shot yeah, yeah. sounds like no, extremely shot shows a high horrible, risk. A horrible idea right now. <laughs> um you know, I, I went to the shot show, I think, seven years in a row, back to back to back. Like if I don't have to go, I'll be I'll be happy. Did you you went this past year? No, no. But I mean, because yeah, I was going to say, you don't work for a company anymore where you have to be. No, it. no. But I, I think I, I went like seven years consecutively. Do you have no interest in ever going back at this point? Not really, man. I feel like I've I've kind of been there, done that. I remember the last time we were at Shot Show, we were in like the worst neighborhood and and outside of like the Vegas Strip. Where was me, you, Al? Were you there? It was Alex, right? Yeah, you were there. Me, you, Alex, uh, James Powell. I'll say his code name. Uh, and another, uh, fake name. Well, what's his, uh, but what's his, what's his writer oh, name Kurt. again? Kurt. Kurt. Yeah. Troder. Uh, but yeah, don't you remember there were like police cars going off repeatedly every night? I'm trying to remember because I get my, <laughs> I get my years confused and, uh, but I mean, yeah, we definitely stayed in some slums, like some really nasty, like Airbnbs. You remember that time where they found the laser porn in the mop closet? It was laser disc no. porn. There were I, old, I wasn't laser, there for that. There were laser discs. Most uh, some people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Like a laser disc was like a DVD the size of our record, and it was laser disc porn. 
and it was, and it's it, like a hard thing to hide. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was hidden in like the mop closet of of this Airbnb we were in. It's like what in the fuck is going on here? Yeah, we we stayed some years in some nice places, and then other years in like some not as nice places. Um, I I always had a good time. Like I enjoyed like that range day type stuff, but I'm in the same boat where it's like, all right, I would maybe go back depending, um, you know, on what's going on that year. I I don't live for it like some people do, but it was always a good time, like hanging with actually a lot of the people that we got to work with that we didn't see yeah, every year. Yeah. It was it's, a good time it's, to do that. It's yeah, it's seeing the people and it's seeing uh you know guys that like I was in the army with that I hadn't seen in years and years that I'd run into. I mean that kind of stuff's really cool. Um, but the show and walking around the floor of the show all day, it's just like no, no, I'm good, dude. Yeah, because it's in uh, or it usually was in January of every year. And that's when it's like freezing cold in New York. I remember the last time we went actually saying to you, even though it was that bad neighbor, like just walking around Vegas being like, I can see myself living here. And you were like, really, dude, I don't I don't think so. And I had that same feeling when I told you I was thinking of moving to Arizona. I have friends there and like the weather is great, but I just really thought about it. And I did check out apartments and I was like, I Look, the weather's nice, but I would be bored out of my mind here. All my friends, family, just the places I go, I I'm coming to the realization like I don't think I see myself leaving Long Island. Man, I mean, I I like it. I've haven't been uh spent a lot of time in Arizona, but I do like it out there when when I And and there. what you could get for whatever you're paying and what I was paying, it is um, I mean, I was in an apartment previously in New York where I was paying 14.50 a month. Which in in where you live would get you like a broom closet at least on Long Island. I had like a spacious up upper uh, floor of a house, which I really enjoyed. But for that same price in Arizona, for like fifteen hundred range, you have a pool, you have a gym there. It, it is yeah. baller as fuck. But I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I yep. couldn't pull the trigger. Man, uh, you're absolutely right, man. And I mean, there's always that temptation, like. And that's what all the hipsters do when they retire from Brooklyn is they move upstate to like Hudson now. And like, yeah, for the amount of pay, amount I'm paying for like a one bedroom apartment, I could probably get, you know, like a house up there. Um, but I don't know, man. I mean, part of it, too, is like I, I grew up here like, like you did. I mean, I grew up in Westchester County in Sleepy Hollow. Um, so like I think this like northeastern thing is just kind of like in my blood also. And, and also, you know, how often do you see your your parents and your family usually? Once a month, I, I guess. So there you go. I that like that's normal to me to see yeah, my yeah. parents every week or every month. And I just if I'm in Arizona, it is a long flight. Realistically, I would probably see my parents about three times a year. Yeah. And family's important. And our our parents are getting older at this point. I want to spend as much time as I can, you know, within reason. I'm not I'm not spending every day with that. Although at the, at the current moment, I do see them every day. You know, I but there's something I think to seeing those people as much as you can. And, and my friends that I grew up with, a lot of my high school friends, I still see. And although I haven't seen you in the past year, nor I think under normal yeah, yeah. circumstances. We, we'd go out and get burritos. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, there was a point I saw you twice every week, but I was <laughs> like, I would probably see you every three months. Yeah, yeah. things going on, and uh, I would miss all that. I know basically two people out in Arizona, and you know, I know they always say, "Oh, you can make new friends," but it's just totally not the same. The only like really solid new friend I had in my life, really, uh, you know, outside of you, was like was really Drew Dwyer. I connected with him when I met. But all the other people that I hang out with regularly are people I have known since I was maybe 10. It's crazy, but we still 
see each other pretty often. I think, you know, also, you know, having a kid and for you, yeah, that that's a big one for you. And, yeah. And uh, well, yeah, it's partly, yeah, you don't want to uproot her whole life. And also, you know, her experiences with her grandparents, you know, that they're, they're right close by. I mean, I guess if I moved to upstate New York, I mean, we could still go see grandma and grandpa. That wouldn't be a problem, but um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll get there one day. I'm not there quite yet. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. And, and I still, I still do like New York. And I think a lot of people outside of the New York area have a wrong impression of what New York is. You kind of have the, where you live, is what people see on the news of New York City on some level. People don't realize like Long Island and the rest of New York, which is a very big state, is nothing like that. Uh, Ron Bennington from SiriusXM made a really interesting point, and I said it a couple of shows ago. Um, you know, when we talk about this whole civil war in the United States thing, what he said was really true. He said, we don't really have red states and blue states. We have a red country and blue cities. Because if you look at uh, even New York map, how we voted, Outside of, I think, New York City, Albany, and uh, it may have, I'm trying to think of where it was. I'd have to look at the map again, but it was really only like three places voted for Biden and the rest of the entire state voted for Trump. Like, and that, and that same goes for like parts of California, Pennsylvania. It's just, uh, that's why when people talk about the civil war thing, uh, it's, it's not as clear cut as people would like to think I'd be at war with people in Manhattan, you know, because Long Island, we didn't. They didn't vote for Biden here. So, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, something that I had a, a professor of the, the history of New York City, um, Professor Sullivan, and he made the point. He's like, people talk about like living in New York City, people who live in New York City. He's like, realistically, nobody lives in New York City. No one lives in New York City. Like, they don't. This city is like, what's the population of the actual, the five boroughs? Is it like six or seven million people, I think? You're probably right. I, I really don't know. So no one lives in New York City. They live in one of those five boroughs, right? Okay, I get but, what you said. Because I was going to say, I do know a handful of people who live in, you know, Midtown where it all, but you have to pay right, a lot for that. Right. But here's the thing. You live in a borough, but you don't really live in a borough either. You live in a neighborhood in that borough. And you don't even really live in that neighborhood in that borough. You live on a fucking street in that neighborhood, in that borough, in New York City. So the the more accurate way to think of it is like 10,000 cities that are all kind of merged into one big metropolis that's connected by subways and streets. Um, you know, your, your New York City is going to be totally different than someone else's New York City. I mean, I've lived in a couple different places in Brooklyn. I've lived in a couple different places in Manhattan. Um, Spanish Harlem is completely different than Midtown. The upper uh, east side and parts of the upper west side where all these well-to-do people live, it's like being in another country, all right? It, it's it's not <laughs> anything like where I live in Brooklyn. Um, and even this, like, parts of Brooklyn are completely different from one another, totally different vibes, uh, yeah. different ethnicities, um, living in these different neighborhoods, different types of stores, different types of people. I mean, it, it's... No one lives in New York City. It's just such a there. There's a um, parts of New York City where it's huge Indian communities. People who immigrated here from India. I mean, it's like night and day. Yeah, no, I, you could point to so many right near me. Even though I'm on Long Island, is Flushing, which is predominantly mm-hmm. Asian. Of course, my mom grew up. 
ironically, in Trump Village, Brooklyn, uh, which is predominantly like Russian immigrants and Astoria. Yeah, it's, it, yeah man. It, it, and, and so I guess the point being, I do I do like a lot of things about being here, but I I hope that a lot of these concert venues, for example, are able to reopen because a lot of them near me are closing down here on Long Island and they're not coming back. They're not going to be able to revive uh, from this. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of smaller bars, a lot of concert venues. Th- those are the people that I'm most concerned about, for sure. Yeah, no, me too, man. And it's definitely going to change things around here for a while. And it's going to take a while to get everyone for people to get back up on their feet. And, yeah, the people that own bars and restaurants, I mean, they're doing their best, but it's tough. So it's safe to say you don't see yourself moving out of state anytime soon. Not out of state. No, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, no, because I I think this audience hears a lot about like the mass exodus out of New York, and it's true on some level, but it's not everybody is getting out of here. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really know about that. I mean, I think when people are talking about the exodus, they're talking about like rich people who they already had second homes in the Hamptons and stuff like that anyway. Um, although it, it, I have heard from people upstate that it's like buying houses upstate in, in New York and Connecticut is like getting crazy. That, and Same with here, Long Island, New Jersey. Because people are buying buying property up north. And so like people, I, I've heard stories of people, they will show up and pay in cash 25% over the asking price for the house just to make sure they lock it down. I'm, I'm not surprised, man. I just think a lot of it has to do with there's no longer uh, this whole big incentive of living near a train station, being able to get to and from the city. And you're right. One thing that definitely is going to change, and I think you wrote something about it early on, at least just on Twitter, is this whole uh, structure we had of like nine to five peak yeah, hour yeah. going into the city, going like, back you- to the suburb. That's going to change. If you find out you could do your job completely remotely, uh, you're probably going to continue doing your job remotely. Yeah. I was always baffled by these people who want to go and work in like a cubicle space in an office. Like what in the hell is wrong with you? But again, it's a personality issue. Some people just like thrive on human interaction. They're like extroverted assholes. I hate those people. <laughs> um, I do like some human interaction. That's why I'm back at the gym. But I, I mean, I like a balance, I think. But um, yeah, man, I, I think it, it's definitely changed. Um and I don't know. We'll we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, think of also when I worked like at the peak of when I worked at Sirius. That was a really interesting place to work because everybody who was selling some type of book, some movie, I'm, you were there all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you could see anyone in the lobby. I remember the way Mike Vince put it, um, who was Andrew Wilkow's producer. He He literally said one time he went to the lobby and he's like, it was insane clown posse. Cardinal Timothy Dolan, and I'll be politically correct, and a little person. And he's like, where else are you going to see that? And I wonder if that's ever going to come back. I think about the amount of real estate that the amount that Sirius is paying for that real estate in Midtown Manhattan. And it made sense at the time because it was right night, right across from the Fox News building. And if you had a project that you wanted to promote, you could bang out like 10 interviews at Sirius with different demographics and then run over to Fox News and do something with Fox and Friends and Pete Hegseth or something. That all may be gone. There may be no reason to pay that high value to be on top of Del Frisco and Midtown Manhattan. And and maybe they can move their operation to Queens or something. And that part of Manhattan, man, as you know, Ian, the Sirius building, they had like 
two or three floors in that building. Right across the street was Fox News. And yeah. then right across the street, um, like heading across uh, Broadway, or is it Broadway or Fifth Ave? Um, it was 1221 Avenue of the America. There you go. Yeah. The, uh... And right across the street the other way, and it's like uh, Simon and & Schuster and all the big publishing houses are over there. Yep. Right up the street. And, and, and I, sh- I mentioned it, but uh, Del Frisco at the base of that b- building, which is a extremely uh, high, like upper – shelf uh however you'd like to put it steakhouse where you would see all the you know uh kim kimberly guilfoyle and all those people at fox news that's where they would go like on a nightly basis and spend hundreds of dollars which the steak is amazing there and and then up the street is rockefeller center where you have nbc and i mean so yeah i mean everything was right in that area. dude have you been have you been back there during the pandemic i went to manhattan for the first time since the pandemic started yesterday Okay, I was there at like the height of it because the studios. I was there when this when the studio we recorded in with you, mm-hmm. like the last week they were there, and then when they came back, and it just doesn't make sense to do it there right now for me. Um, but when I was back there, man, I have never seen a ghost town like that. It's the craziest wow. thing, I mean, it was the liveliest place on earth. Mm-hmm. To where I have a few pictures where it was blocks until you saw another person it was just unlike anything i've ever seen before yeah it's like after a nuclear bomb went off i can't imagine but like that that part of manhattan was like the part like friends of mine would be like oh can you show us around this part of manhattan on the weekend i'm like no i'm not going there like if you're a local you're not going to places like that to hang out um there's just too many people and it's too obnoxious you know and i i say that it's like times square just like riddled there's tons and tons of people there well, that's, yeah, it's right near times, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and the only reason, yeah, you would go there is if you're seeing a concert in the area, there was that uh, PlayStation Theater, they were renamed a million times, but that place just closed, uh, or if you were at MSG seeing a concert, which you could just go to Penn Station and you'd be right there, but, or, you know, seeing uh, a Knicks game or something like that, or a Rangers game, but yeah, you're right, uh, th- one person who did want to see it, and I'm glad I got to show him, was Marty Scovland Sr., uh, wanted to see all that stuff before he passed away. And uh, he went to Emmett O'Looney's and then wanted to see Sirius, cool. wanted to see where the ball dropped. And yeah, Marty took him everywhere. Marty took him like all over the world. I, I talked to Marty on the phone like uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, he's, he's a really good guy. Marty is a uh, former Ranger and uh, he's the editor in chief, I believe, for Coffee or Die. Coffee or Die, yeah. Yeah, yeah with Luke Ryan, who's who's been on the show before. Um, and his dad, I should point out, yeah, had an AOS, uh, right? It was AOS. I think so. And yeah, he just wanted to see all these different places and it was cool to at least take him around when, when Marty was in town. But yeah, it's, it's just a totally different thing. I mean, like this year, you're not going to see people packed to watch the ball drop. I don't know what New Year's is going to be like. It's going to be very hard for, you know, Dr. Fauci and all that to say, like, don't get together with friends. No one's going to listen to that. Yeah, man. And like, I guess I've said before, you know, like I'm, I'm about trying to do the right thing and, and to like limit the spread and, and all that kind of, you want me to wear a mask? I'll wear a mask. It's not a problem. I'm not, I'm not going to complain about that. But when the federal government starts like kind of like wanting to lecture us about Thanksgiving, if, if that's what's going on, they make some, some overtures towards that. It's sort of like, all right, bro, this is a little bit of overreach here. Like, why don't you just let me figure this out on my own? I, like, I don't need you telling my family how to handle this. Yeah. Especially when you're seeing some of these, like, you know, mayor Gavin Newsom, that, that it was 
caught that he was out to dinner and it it was, you know, indoors with like 12 other people. And he's saying like, you better live at Thanksgiving. And yeah, at some point you got to let people take their calculated risks. I felt perfectly fine going to the gym. And um, so one of the guys I trained did get COVID. I I feel perfectly fine. He, uh, you know, we were both have masks on. I'm not touching the people that I'm training anymore. Um, you know, this is going to happen, but it's also kind of hard to convince people uh, that we're like, we're back to where we were six months ago. We're like, y- you might die, you know, and it's a crapshoot of who's going to die. Like after we've watched like someone like Chris Christie, I know he's getting, uh, he- he's basically being treated, uh, you know, more so than we would if we were to get it. But you just watch like a guy who's morbidly obese, not in the best of yeah. health. And you're like, all right, if he's able to beat this, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. Whether that's, you know, rational or not. That's the way people see it. Well, when this thing like really popped off, like if they wanted to like shut down all the airlines and like, yeah, really for real do a nationwide lockdown like they did in Italy, like early on, and we're going to do that for like three months or even six months, I'd be like, okay, like we, we do what we got to do to get through this thing, right? But but if you come to me now and you're, you start kind of proposing that kind of stuff, it's like, hey, man, like that ship has sailed, <laughs> I agree. And I'm enjoying all the things that are opened and at least in New York too. Um, you know, they, the news definitely has made it worse than it is where it's this explosion of cases, but then you look at the death toll and, you know, I think like three people here on Long Island died yesterday and you start to say, is this really necessary to shut everything down right now? I don't know. I mean, it's serious and we should take it seriously. And, you know, my, uh, my mom works in a hospital. So I mean, a lot of stress involved in that, but she'd tell me, you know, it's not just old people. Like we get people who are 25, 30 years old who have no pre-existing conditions. They come in, check into the hospital, the positive for COVID and they're dead two days later. Um, it's crazy. So it, it is serious and we should do, you know, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's calculated risks because we can't lock down the entire country and literally we all lose our freaking minds and the economy really goes to shit. At the same time, we don't want to just go about business as usual and kill grandma. So we're taking, we're taking a whole series of calculated risks here to try to limit the exposure. I mean, that's what the masks are. They don't um, completely mitigate the transmission of the virus. They just greatly limit it. Um, So yeah, we're doing. We're all doing the best we can, and it would just be helpful if our government put out like consistent, sensical information and didn't confuse the shit out of everyone. Yeah, I I did see that your friend, uh, fellow ranger Paul Shari, said that he got COVID. Paul, you yeah, very, you very sympathetically wrote, "Don't die." Yeah, do not die, bro. <laughs> Same thing I would have told him on a hill in Afghanistan. <laughs> me, me and me and Paul go way way back. We were rangers together. Um, and deployed together to Afghanistan in 2004. So yeah, me and him go way back. Yeah. Hope, hopefully he'll be all right, but yeah. I'm sure he's able to take from you that, you know, that's, that's your humor. Yeah, no, he, he he's, he's a good guy. I'm sure he's going to be all right. He'll, he'll pull through it. Awesome, man. Well, what's, uh, what else is on the horizon for you? As I said, connecting uh, vets, all the stuff you've been writing there is fantastic. And then the team house live stream, some of these episodes going completely viral. I, I we will have Dave Park on the show at some point and yeah, you should give people an update that, uh, that Dave is now okay because I did mention oh, early yeah. on what happened to Dave and it's he's fully recovered at this point. It seems yeah, like, he, other than he is, he's doing much, much better. Um, yeah. So like if people don't know, Dave got 
fucked up in the in the subway. Some scumbag hit him in the head with a rock. And like it was one of those things where like he was in critical condition in the hospital. He could have died. Like if he got hit in the head with that rock one more time, he probably would have died. Um, but he's doing good now. He's doing much better. Um, he's he's been to see like the best doctors America has to offer on these things at this point. Um, and they've taken really good care of him. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's going to be okay. He's doing, he's doing okay. He's back to his normal self now. Thank God. Um, so yeah, we a lot to be thankful for there. Yeah. We'll definitely have him on at some point. He, but nothing permanent, it seems like, right? No, I don't think so. Um, he's very lucky that he doesn't have like, you know, a, a fractured skull or brain damage or anything. He, he, he kind of dodged the bullet on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of people are pulling for him, and thanks to you setting up that GoFundMe, and, and also thanks to Dave uh, just being uh, really honest with people and saying, like I saw on Twitter, there were different veterans groups who were trying to throw in money, and Dave just saying, like, hey, I'm going to be all right. Allocate that money to someone else. Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate everybody who uh, who, who chipped in for him. Um, we, we were able to raise a decent amount of money, and that was like to – I mean, obviously Dave couldn't go to work. He he was like on bed rest. So, I mean, that kind of like got him through that whole period. Um, you know, so I really appreciate everybody out there who who kind of like looked after him. 100%. Any uh, big plans for either with Connecting Vets or the live stream or any writing uh, stuff outside of that for 2021? Well, th- yeah, things continue with Connecting Vets. Um, always working on different articles for them and we'll continue to and you know, if you got any things you want to lay on me, my tip line is open. Uh, any veterans issues, any uh, national security issues. I love to write about secret missions and covert operations. Um, oh, that's one thing I would mention, Ian, is my article that went up on Yahoo um, that people might like to read. And uh, that was that went up a few months ago. And it's an operation, a CIA covert operation that took place um, north of the Philippines um, north of the South China Sea, in which four maritime branch contractors were killed in a, in a hurricane during a covert operation. Um, oh, wow. So that's up on Yahoo. Um, you can find that. But otherwise, um, you know, continuing with the podcast, Ian, and with the live stream, um, I'm working on some things to kind of like improve the production quality. So like we're getting like an intro trailer made that'll play beforehand and some other looking support. forward to that. Yeah, things like so things like that to kind of just like you know, we want to make it as professional as it can possibly be. Um it doesn't have to be like super polished like, you know, a real TV show, but you know, we want it to be cool. We want we want people to, you know, feel like they're getting some quality content on there. Yeah, and I, I see that you guys have really, you know, since last year to now really moved and you know made some strides from when i came on to yeah what you're doing now even even with having to do it on zoom at times you're making it all work yeah man yeah we're all adapting as best we can and yeah we built out a set we got the sound and the video working much better so it's it's coming along you know i'm, I'm pretty happy with where it's at right now cool man so for the audience you could look up uh the team house on youtube or here on wherever you're listening i think it's on pretty much all yeah, podcast yeah. platforms spotify and itunes and all that stuff awesome and uh and jack is on twitter at jack murphy rgr on instagram at jack mcmurph it's cool to do this again because like i said there was a period of several years where we saw each other twice a week <laughs> somehow managed to like keep things going and 
a, a lot of the times radio teams and like duos, they, you know, butt heads and stuff. And we've managed to get along pretty good yeah. uh, throughout this whole time. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, um, you know, I hope, we, you know, we can get together, have a drink sometime soon. Um, and likewise, you know, I, I do want to have you and, and Chris on the show, um, you know, failing that, maybe we can get you to come in and have Chris dial in remotely. I don't know. We'll figure, yeah, you we'll, can definitely do we'll, that. We'll figure out how to do it, but I mean, I definitely want to have you guys on. Yeah, he'd be he'd be great for it, man. And and I feel like he he has a lot to talk about with what he's doing with Battleline Tactical and adapting during this time for sure. Uh, he's doing less of them now, though. He's doing less of these training courses where for a while he was on a plane constantly. Just and as he says on the show, he gets more out of it being able to do it every few months, but. Uh, yeah, we've we've both been keeping busy, and I think everybody uh, who really makes the effort is finding ways to adapt right now and uh, just make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, everyone's trying to do the best they can, and you know, through all the the division and anger and everything, you know, I, I don't think this virus needs to be the big partisan issue that unfortunately it's it's descended into. Um, you know, it's something that we should be able to pull together on it and just get through. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we have to like hate on each other all the time because like sh- could I, our masks tyranny. I mean, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, man, we're all trying to do the right thing here. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be some type of middle ground, though, is is from what I see. Um, you have one side who's like, we don't want any restrictions at all. Yeah. And then you have another side who, um, you know, when I watch like Michael Osterholm, who's going to be working with uh, Biden and he says we need to have like another four month, I think he said mandatory lockdown nationwide. And then when he also throws out there, he says, and you could find that he said like it's going to stimulate the economy as well uh, because interest rates are lower than they've ever been and we could pay people to stay at home. And that's that's just a huge spin in well, my it, opinion. Yeah, it, Why yeah. weren't we doing that previous if that's going to stimulate the economy? Yeah, it's people it's a fantasy. To- it's a fantasy. Yeah, you can't just keep printing money into oblivion, and that's what we're going to end up doing. Yeah, it's that's just a pure. It's a fantasy. It's like some weird utopian fantasy. I don't know why he would even say something like that. Yeah, but you can look it up. I'm not. I'm not making this up. Uh, there's been a, there's been a lot of people I think who are pushing for like, and also I just don't know if it would be constitutional to say that we need a nationwide lockdown for that amount of time. I I don't know if. Well, You're allowed and, to do and, that and, legally. And just to be clear, we, we've never had a nationwide lockdown. Like, we've never really been locked down. Yeah. You know, so, and now... Yeah, no, this hasn't been like China, who had like a real one. Right, right. So, I mean, now uh, on the second wave, you know, into this thing, all of a sudden we're going to have a nationwide four-month lockdown. Like, that's not going to happen. Come on. Yeah. All right, let's end it with uh, with something positive. I don't I don't want to end it with, with lockdowns. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know uh what what we could say though actually yeah what kind con- you know what i saw you saw you uh wrote or tweeted out that batgirl is ending which your daughter very much enjoyed oh yeah what what comic books are you enjoying for the comic book oh out so here, this is kind of cool um the association of the united states army um produces a comic book it's a medal of honor series and what they do is they bring in real comic book talent um chuck dixon who's worked on Batman and stuff like that. He, uh, he writes them and they get real art artists, comic artists who do like X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman, all kinds of cool stuff. And they make um, comics that, that you can download them for free off of the, the AUSA website um, about different Medal of Honor recipients. 
So like Roy Benavidez is one of them. And, and it tells their story and how they were awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, Tiber Rubin was a uh, this Jewish guy who won the Medal of Honor um, in the Korean War. It tells his story. I mean, really, really interesting uh, stories. Um, real life, you know, acts of valor. And uh, they combined them into, now there's a printed comic book. And you can go onto their website again, and you can order a free copy of this Medal of Honor comic book. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's really well done. Like, this is great, something you can give to your kids to have them read about some real-life American heroes. Uh, Anybody who's ever says, you know, why why are kids admiring these rappers and rock stars and basketball players? You know, real heroes are our military. Well, these are some real-deal military heroes. Um, In the comics, like I said, they're just really well done. It's really professional, the way they put it together. Um, So, and and it's free, okay? The The price point is pretty good. So yeah, order some for your kids. They'll, they'll get a kick out of them. That's cool. All right. That's a good way to end it. Once again, Jack Murphy, RGR on Twitter at Jack, Mc, at Jack McMurph on Instagram. And with that wrapping things up here, Fort Scott munitions, you've heard us talk about them this episode. They are a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue. That's their trademark, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design, and it was found that not only did the TUI ammo outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, The tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Look, guys, I know that ammo is flying off the shelves everywhere you go. People are price gouging left and right. Fort Scott is not. However, anything you're finding on the site, they're basically restocking as quickly as they can because it is flying off the shelves. So if you don't see exactly what you're looking for on the site today, for example, Go tomorrow, go the next day. The site is constantly changing, but a lot of stuff is sold out and they're doing the best that they really can. So um, when you do go to the site though, use our promo code. Yes, it's available in stores, but the only way you're gonna get 15% off your order is through using our promo code BattleLine at FortScottMunitions.com. Every now and again in the Instagram comments or in my inbox, I get someone who says, Damn, I forgot to use the promo code. So I, this is your reminder, right? Use the promo code, BattleLine. Go there now, fortscottmunitions.com. Use our promo code, and you're going to get 15% off your order. Best ammo on the market. We love what they do. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, myself, BattleLine Tactical, and the BattleLine Podcast. With that, guys... I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving to anybody stationed overseas fighting for our freedom. I know it's tough out there missing family members. Um, I can't say what Chris can because I haven't been in that position, but hang in there. Stay strong. We'll hopefully see you again next Thanksgiving. And for the rest of you, stay safe. We'll be back next week. I hope you have not minded bearing with me these couple of episodes. But Chris Peranto, the usual team, will be back in effect just next week. So come back on Monday. 
we'll be here. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast, but we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. Never quit.